are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation about the workforce and often draw on the meaning work research I've been doing over the past 15 years, along with the work that I do at Insidium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first, a big thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading, leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they're dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thanks, jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch the podcast. We were on the air with Kim Olson, who is a 25-year veteran of the Air Force, past school board founder and um, director. She, and she also founded Grace After Fire. She is now turning her passions and talents into running for the Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. We talked about the importance of everyone eating a healthy diet of non-processed foods to avoid the diabetes epidemic in children, why school gardens work so well to educate kids about where wholesome food com- comes from and involve them in its cultivation, and why expanding farmers markets and other farmer co-ops are good for everyone. It was a great conversation, very, very inspiring. With us this week, I'm happy to tell you that we have Miss Christy Wainwright with us. She is a well-respected and loved teacher at Bishop Lynch High School in East Dallas, Texas. She teaches freshman biology, both honors and regulars, and the AP biology course offered to upperclassmen. In addition to teaching, Miss Wainwright also moderates the Medical Society Student Club. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. Miss Wainwright, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hi, thank you for having me. Isn't this fun? I, I have to tell our listeners just why I'm why you're with us. So okay. um, I, I this this show happens to be listened to across the, 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 the globe. There are listeners from Japan and China, thank you very much, listeners, and all over in India. It's just in, incredible to get to connect with people like that. So I met Miss Wainwright because she happens to be my daughter's biology teacher and I went I was in student or excuse me, teacher parent conference night. And when you told your story of how you became a teacher and just I saw the zeal and the zest, and of course, I've heard my daughter talk about how much she enjoys you, I thought, you know, everybody has, I hope everybody has, a teacher who has made a profound difference in their lives, somebody who turned them on to something, and maybe that's why they got into the work that they do, or maybe it made a difference in how they how they, they chose their, their lives. And, and I thought, here it is, September. It's the beginning of the school year for most of us, at least in, in, in the United States. And I thought, why not bring you on and have you share your story? So that's why, in case you're wondering, why did she ask me to come on the show? That's why. <laughs> so welcome. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Happy so to to, Yeah. So, well, to kick us off, um, would you please share that story that you shared with us on Parent Teacher Conference tonight about how it is that you became a biology teacher? Of course. Um Growing up, every kid has a dream of what they want to do with their life, and uh, my dream was to not become a teacher. I had no aspirations of becoming a teacher. Um, however, obviously, I, this is where I was meant to be, so it's where I wound up. But originally, I wanted to go into the medical field, 
Um, I was really passionate about helping people. And so I felt that, well, maybe not necessarily a doctor, but I really wanted to go into physical therapy. So I started going to um, college at St. Mary's University. I played softball there as well. And uh, I was a bio major. And then about halfway through that education, I did an internship at a local hospital here in Dallas, Baylor Garland. And we were interacting with people, which was great. I had a lot of fun interacting with people. It was the actual physical care of people that I had an issue with. I didn't like um, the blood, the guts, the taking care of people. And so I kind of had to take a step back and rethink what I wanted to do. Um, I was three-fourths of the way through with a biology degree, and I no longer wanted to go into the medical field, so I kind of had to sit back and figure out what to do. And honestly, it didn't come quickly. I had, I had no clue. I graduated without a job, didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I had a friend who worked in skincare and managed to get me a job at the mall. So I worked at the mall selling skincare for about three and a half years. And then um, one day I came up to my alma mater, which happens to be Bishop Lynch, so I teach at my alma mater, um, to visit a teacher who's going through a little bit of a rough time. I was bringing her a, a sonic tea because sonic teas fix everything. And uh, I walked in and we got to talking and I told her that I still didn't know what I was going to do. And she's like, you should teach. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't have the patience for that. There's no way I'm going to be a good teacher. I don't even know how to teach. Um, and she's like, just go talk to the principal. So I did. And I walked in and I left with a teaching position. I was a uh, <laughs> substitute teacher for a, uh, ironically enough, my former biology teacher here at Bishop Lynch, she was uh, pregnant and she was due pretty much any minute. So I uh, started watching her and coming to class just like a student would. And I sat in the back of the room and I saw how she taught and the way she was teaching. And I got a phone call one day that said, all right, you're it. She went into labor. And so I started teaching and Honestly, I haven't looked back. I have been here ever since. I've been at Bishop Lynch ever since. I've done a couple odd jobs here and there. I, uh, I've taught biology, obviously. I've taught chemistry. I've taught anatomy. And I've taught theology. So I've kind of, you know, dipped my toe in as many different subjects as I could before I found the niche that was biology. But I can tell you I'm putting that, that biology degree to good use now, even though I thought I would never uh, be a teacher. But it's been a fun ride. Mm. Love the story, Miss Wainwright. I love the story. And what I what I want to call out for our listeners that is so important about what you said there, among many things, is that this whole notion that, you know, you thought you you were pretty secure that you were gonna go into the medical field. I mean, that was the that yeah. was the idea, that was the ticket, that's the train, we're on the train, we're going. And then you get you actually experience it and you realize, uh, that's not for me. So what I really like to reinforce to people, and I mean anybody, especially students who are out there dipping their toe trying to figure out what they're gonna be when they grow up and that's so hard, is really getting as much experience and exposure to different kinds of work as they possibly can. Go shadow your parents, go shadow shadow their friends, right? That's It's just so important to be able to get those experiences because then you can figure out pretty quick before you actually do the whole entire degree, right? That, yeah. ooh, this is for me or, or it's not for me. Exactly. You get backed into a corner and I honestly, when I got backed into the corner, I, I shut down for a little while and then I figured out this is where I needed to be and it just, everything opened back up, so. Well, so you clearly have a passion for teaching. I mean, it is abundantly obvious. And I was like, I want to be in her class. I told Gabby, I said, you know, how do I, how do I come to her class? What if I behave myself? Can I come? Um, so what, what is it that you love about teaching? Um, it, it's going to sound cliche, but I really do love hanging out with the kids. Um, 
so I started out teaching just freshman level kids, so that's 14 and 15 year olds. And we all know that 14 and 15 year olds have their special little character, right? They're not quite mature enough yet, and they like to crack inappropriate jokes, which works. It works along great with my personality because I like to laugh at inappropriate jokes. Um, so we kind of feed off of each other, but it also gives me a chance to. Um, give them more of a framed learning experience while letting them grow into their own learner. Um, for a long time, they're t- told, take notes this way, do, th- do it this way, do it that way, study this way. And I'm more about what works for you. You have to know this material. Does it help if you learn it as a dance? Does it help if you learn it as pictures? Does it help if you learn it as an outline? So we do a little bit of each to allow the students to say, oh, you know what, this outline thing, it really works. Or, you know what, I can't do an outline, but these pictures, these mind maps, I can totally wrap my brain around it. Um, So I really like working with the kids to help them figure out who they are as a student. Wow. You know, as an identity researcher, you know, that completely moves all of my dials. You know that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Because really, if that, that is, okay, so that's so powerful. And here's what's great about that is that everybody, we generally each manufacture our own meaning individually. And that's what it is. We create our own meaning. It's not just hanging out there someplace. We create it. So the fact that you see your role as a way to help these people find themselves and who they are, I, I don't know what ex- what answer I was expecting, but that wasn't it. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could um, shock you, surprise you. <laughs> it's it's but wonderful. It's, it's it's wonderful to be dazzled. Yes. It tr- I mean, it truly is. It truly is about. I mean, at the end of the day, I know the biology material. At the end of the day, I'm not the one taking the test. I'm not the one trying to move on to chemistry. I know the material. My job, my goal is to maybe not necessarily get the kids to like biology as much as me, maybe not to have them all major in biology later, but them to at least understand how they got from A to B. Um, So if that's what I can, if that's the success that I can get out of them, that's my goal. So that's what I strive for. Okay. I love the end game. Now, what I also know is that you know, it doesn't matter how much passion and zest and motivation we bring to our, our work, sometimes there are challenging and hard days, right? That's just all there is to it. So yeah. you are a very energetic person, from what I could tell, and just at this one meeting. So where do you get your energy from? Um, I like to feed off the students. However, when they take it upon themselves to become the teacher and they talk to each other and they shout things out, it kind of gets a little chaotic and it weighs on me a little bit. Because as much as I like to be loud and have fun, I like to be loud and have fun in a, in a structured kind of way. So when the, um, the rough patches or the down days, sometimes the kids can tell. The kids are like, Ms. Wainwright, what's wrong? And I'm just like, you know what? It's just one of those days where I'm off. Um, but I do still try to add fun to it. And I do still try to um, laugh at myself and crack jokes with the kids. Even if I'm not my normal bubbly self, I want to make sure that the kids still get the same amount of information out of it. I mean, everyone has a down day. Everyone has a hard day. I had a hard day on Monday, and I literally, I went home, and I had a bunch of work that I needed to be graded. Sorry, guys, your tests did not get graded. I apologize. Um, (laughs) And I just kind of sat there, and I had to turn on something that would just numb my brain. I had to just, you know, deflate. So I turned on the Hallmark Channel, because that's that's my go-to. I turn on the Hallmark Channel and then just life just kind of chills out and gets better. And so I just kind of had to deflate mentally. And then Tuesday, I woke up, I got here, I was rearing to go, and we just started a new day. 
So the Hallmark Channel. So part of what must recharge you is um, relationship or positivity. Yes, I am 100% a relationship person. I am 100% a positive person. I do not... I do not function well in a situation where there's a lot of negative or complaining. So I don't think I could ever be like a therapist, like an actual therapist. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. when other coworkers come to me or students come to me and they're complaining, I'm like, nope, check it out the door. I can't, that negative just weighs on me. I can't, I can't handle your negative. I'm sorry. So Yeah, I really get that. And so it's just so interesting to see. The, part of the reason I asked the question about what would refuel you is it tells me a lot about who you are and where you get your motivation and your sense of connection from. So when you said the Hallmark Channel, I'm like, I got it. Totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> the kids well, like to make fun of me for it. And I'm like, you don't even understand how amazing the Hallmark Channel is. You have to give it a try. Oh, well, I, I, my, my daughter teases me because I'm, I'm a sap. I'm one of the first pe- person to cry in a movie. And, you know, at any time there's anything like soft about a movie, my daughter will look down the way and see, is mama crying yet? Okay, good. We're on track. That's how it is. That's where I am in my family. (laughs) Okay. Well, so when you're teaching your students, as you say, you've got a job to do. They got to get this stuff about biology. So when you think about that, what is most important to you in teaching your students? What are you really trying to affect in them? Besides that sense of identity relative to biology, what are you really trying to get them to get? Well, I think the most important thing for them to understand about biology is honestly how important it is to everything. Um, I actually had a student today, we were studying chemistry, and I told him, I was like, guys, chemistry is not my strong point. I can do this, this, and that, but as far as in-depth questions are going, these are all great questions. I don't know the answer to them, and I can look them up and get back to you. And one of my students was like, well, why are we learning chemistry if this is biology class? And I said, that's a great question, because biology is the foundation of every other science. Biology Mm. is how life interconnects. Biology is how the brain functions. So it goes to psychological things and physical things, and it's how you move, it's how you groove, it's how, you know, you pass on information. So biology is the foundation of all sciences. And whether you know the intricacies of how a muscle contraction works, I need you to know that your brain is controlling your bicep when you raise your hand to ask a question. Um, So my interconnectedness and showing them just how important biology is, whether they choose to major in it or not, biology is a part of their everyday life, and biology is a part of every other science that they're going to study. So laying the foundation for them is very important to me as far as understanding goes. And I want to crack into that a bit more after we, when we get into the next segment because I'm I really want to bring that to life for our listeners too as to you know how do what do we get from biology in our everyday life? But before we get there, um, I do want to address the fact that you what I when I think about the role that you play, the work that you do, it seems to me that you have three major audiences to deal with. You have you know this the school staff, the principal, et cetera, and your other teachers. Um, uh-huh. Well, and you have well, which and your boss, you have parents and you have kids. So, and I heard you just easily, you know, go back and forth between the parents and the kids when when I was there. So, first, I want to understand, what is your approach to working with parents? I'm told this can be one of the hardest groups for teachers to actually navigate. Well, I I personally don't have any children. And so, I will never, as of right now, I do not know what it feels like to trust another person with my child. However, I've been a child, and I have learn from my parents. And I think the most important thing for parents to understand with teachers is you can't make an enemy of each other. You have to understand that your partners, your teammates, because at the end of the day, what is both of your goals? Your goal is for your child to be successful. Now, 
I get a lot of, um, I, w- I wouldn't say like negative attitude, but I get a lot of questioning when it comes to grading sometimes because although I like to have a lot of fun and I like to learn a lot of things, I do not um, accept late work. I am drop dead. If it is not here by the deadline, I'm not going to grade it for X, Y, or Z. I don't care the reason. I gave you plenty of time to get it done. You didn't contact me. It's a zero. And so I get a lot of parents that are like, well, why did they get a zero? And, you know, that's not fair. And I go, listen, yeah, it's not fair. But they've learned their lesson. Now they learned that they can open up a conversation with me. Now they learned to prioritize their homework. Now they learned to make sure they check their backpack in the morning for their homework. So it's kind of a tough pill to swallow. I would say the toughest pill to swallow is when I give a zero to a homework assignment that doesn't have a name on it. And I look at the student in the face and I say, if it's not important enough for you to put your name on it, if you're not proud enough to put your name on it, I'm not going to devote my time to grading it. And that's one of the real hot-button topics with parents is, well, they did the work. Why aren't they getting any credit? Well, their name wasn't on it. At the end of the day, it's a homework grade. At the end of the day, it's a quiz grade. At the end of the day, you and I, being the parent, need to be on the same page as far as, yeah, you didn't put your name on it. It's a zero. Now, if things escalate further, obviously the parent and I can have a conversation about it. But as far as, I, as, far as that's concerned, I think teamwork is the most, basic way to describe our relationship. The parent, parents and teachers, both of them equally, forget that they are working for the well-being of that child. And I think that's where a lot of tensions form. It strikes me, Miss Wainwright, that the fact that you're very clear about, you know, the, this is how I roll, this is how it goes, these are, and, it, it, and that that's communicated to, this, to the students and to the parents. And then you actually follow through with what you said you're going to do. What I really like about that, appreciate that, is that that's, that's life. There's consequences when you actually don't do what is asked of you or what is expected of you or what has been communicated to you. And I personally very much appreciate that approach. So um, you got one parent that's with you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and many more, I know, Yay. but this one for sure. Um, and here we are already. We're on. We're ready for our first break. The time flies so fast. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Miss K- Miss Christy Wainwright, who is a biology teacher at Bishop Lynch High School in East Dallas, Texas. She joins us today from her school office, I believe. We've been talking a bit about just how it was that she got into teaching, what she loves about it. And after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about her approach to actually how she brings it to life in the classroom. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Miss Christy Wainwright. She's a well-respected and loved teacher at Bishop Lynch High School here in East Dallas, Texas. She teaches freshman biology, both honors and regulars, and the AP biology course offered to upperclassmen. In addition to teaching, she is also she also moderates the Medical Society Student Club, of which my daughter is actually a, a member of, and I'm learning. I'm looking forward to learning more about that myself. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, we were chatting a bit about just how you found yourself in this crazy career of yours, and how much you love it, and what's important for you to be able to impart to your students. What I'd love to do next is hear a bit about your actual teaching approach. I'm going to guess that some of the people that have tuned in are maybe aspiring teachers or maybe they just love their teacher and they want to know what's behind the curtain. So <laughs> let's talk pedagogy. So I heard okay. you say in, in your introduction when we had the Parent Teachers Conference that you did not know how to teach when you came to BL. So first, how would you describe your teaching style today? So when I first got here, I would say that I tried to drink from a fire hose when I learned about teaching, and I was just, like, trying to absorb everything, and it became very, very overwhelming. Um, and when it became overwhelming, I kind of shut down a little bit, and I just made sure that they had the basics. And it wasn't necessarily fun like I perceive my classes today. So when I, when I finally got the full-time job, um, I went through a program called um, ACT, Accelerated Certification for Teachers. And they have several different branches of ACT throughout the um, state of Texas, like Dallas, San Antonio, Houston. And it was a concentrated course, and it was meant to work on your own time scale. So I became a student for two weeks, and I learned everything there was to know about teaching. Um, Because I felt like I knew how to interact with the kids. I knew the material. I think where I lacked or where I was weakest when I started teaching was my ability to convey that information to them. Because I would say something... And I would only say about half of what they needed to know. And I'd be like, well, why don't you understand? And they're like, uh, you didn't give us enough information. I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you half of that. I knew it, but I didn't convey it to them. And that's sometimes where I still find myself going, what, where, what are you missing? And they're like, oh, you didn't tell us any of these things. I was like, oh, okay, good to know. Um, so when I first started teaching, that was the hardest part. That was the hardest pill to swallow was understanding what my students did or didn't know and how to relay that information to them. But once I took the, uh, the ACT program, they taught me how to create a lesson plan. They taught me how to convey the information. They taught me how to set up a test. Um, I, 
the first test I ever gave was 25 multiple choice questions and they were done with it in about 20 minutes. And I was like, what do I do with the rest of the class period? I didn't plan anything. Um, so it was basically, I felt like I was thrown into the deep end of a pool in a good way, in a good way, because I'm a very big proponent of you learn from your mistakes. And as far as I'm concerned, a mistake is only when it happens more than once. If it happens once, it's a learning experience. If it continues to happen, it's a mistake and you need to rectify it. But if you learn from it, how can it be a mistake? It's just a learning experience. So I learned a lot that first year of teaching. Um, Last year was my first year to teach AP Biology. And if my parents were on the phone with us, they could attest to this. I don't know how many times I would go home or I would call them and I would just cry. I'd be like, I don't think they learned anything today. Class was a joke. I, I messed this up. The lab didn't work. I didn't have the right paper copied. And it would just be so overwhelming that I would, you know, shut down inside myself. Um, and then I, I had to realize, and I had a bunch of students that reassured me. They were like, we learned so much from your class. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. It didn't go the way it was supposed to go every time. But we learned what we were supposed to learn. So I'm kind of a control freak. I like things to go perfectly. I like to roll things out when I know things are going to work. Um, and as a teacher, you can't, you can't be stuck on the perfection because um, it's the imperfections where you actually learn the most. So I think that was one of the biggest things that I had to learn when I first started teaching. Brilliant. I have two things i got to say to that. So that imperfection th- notion of that's where you really learn the most. Um, there is a fantastic book out called Black Box Thinking. Have you ever heard of it? I have not, but I just wrote it down. Okay. Highly recommend it. Here's why. I mean, in the business world, of course, that's the the world that I generally navigate in is what's great about that book is it's all about embracing failure and what we learn from failure, that, that it's critical to fail in order to learn. And yet so much of our society is about avoiding failure at all costs, right? So now we miss all of these lessons. And it talks about how how businesses can can embrace and learn from failures, how individuals can do so. It's just fantastic. So to me, that echoes the point that you were making about imperfections. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say is that what you said about your experience of you know being thrust into the teaching world without really much experience, um, I can remember when I started, I, I wanted, I identified back in, I think, 2011 or so, 2010, that I thought it might be kind of fun to actually teach in the college arena because I have a PhD and I love all of the concepts, et cetera, but I didn't know how to teach either. So I actually uh, opted to go to work and, and start teaching classes at, at nighttime for the University of Phoenix. And the reason I did that is because they they taught you how to teach. They gave you, you know, here is, you're going to use this textbook. Here is your syllabus. It's already read, ready for you. It's all uniform. Here's the general lesson plan that you're going to make, that you're going to, you're going to do. Now you create all the activities of what you're going to do in a classroom and they teach you how to do that. And then you go bring it to life and you make these students learn something. And so for me, it was like an easier way to access the world of teaching because they taught me how to do it. Now, of course, I teach at Southern Methodist University and I do it on my own. I know I know how to create my own lesson plan, et cetera. But I really want to echo and applaud what you did coming in to teach, not having that experience. Ms. Wainwright, that is just, it's phenomenal that you did that and you got through it and you still I love did. it. I, there were some days where I didn't think it was going to happen, but I did, I did make it through it. I learned a lot more than I thought I was going to. I probably learned, I tell my students this all the time, I go, you know what, I learn more in a day at school than you do because I'm learning things about you, I'm learning things that don't work, I'm learning things that I need to change. So don't just assume that I know everything, which is kind of hard for them to wrap their brain around. Um, 
But, I mean, we're in the same boat. I learn something new from these kids every day. When I have a project that I, you know, have planned out and then it totally flops. And I'm like, okay, don't need to do that again. Um, (laughs) So it's just being very versatile and learning from my mistakes is definitely the key to being successful, I think, in any type of field, but teaching especially. I have a sense, too, Miss Wainwright, I don't know this to be true because I don't know you at all yet, but I have a sense that part of what also makes you so effective with your students is that you are authentically available. You, you know, you, you don't show up with all the answers and you don't try to be something that you're not and you're accessible and that you don't always know everything and that you, you know, you can be a, a full human being who has hard days. And I would I wonder if that's part of your 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 recipe for success. Well, thank you. I th- I personally, it has, it has served me well these past, these past four and a half years being just, I mean, it's almost kind of like grassroots. All the kid will ask, a student will ask me a question and I'll say, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I will tell you next class, I'll do my research and I'll figure it out. And next class I come back and I go, okay, you know, little Johnny, you asked me this question. This is the answer. So it get, I mean, it's, it's asinine for teachers to believe that they have to know everything about everything so that way when a student answers their question, they can sound intelligent. I'm not worried about sounding intelligent. I'm worried about making sure that everyone understands how important it is um, that we all have water in our bodies. I, I could care less about being perfect. I could care less about making sure that I sound like the most intelligent person in the room because, you know what, some days that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. Some days I have I have several students who are highly motivated in sciences and in different aspects. I have one particular student who loves chemistry, and he taught me something today. And I, I'm open to it. I'm 100% okay with that. And I told the kids, I said, if I close myself off to learning something new from you, I've shorted myself and I've shorted you on that experience of teaching someone something. Because mm-hmm. whether you're a teacher or not, you should be able to teach another human being something, whether it's teaching someone how to do laundry or teaching someone how to drive a car. You have to be able to teach someone something to allow you to interact socially. Um, So even in the most basic concept of teaching, I have to be open to that teachable moment too, just like the students are. You know, what just struck me as you were talking when, when you said that, you know, some little Johnny or somebody might ask you a question you don't know the answer to. Wouldn't it be amazing? And I bet you do this already, but wouldn't it be amazing um, just to say, I don't know the answer to that question. Let's go find out. Right. Yes. You, you draw them in and you're like, I don't know. Let's go find it out together. Um, how fun that is to be able to enroll them in the learning process with you. I just I just had that. I notion of that the joy of discovery that you can actually engender you have the power to engender in those moments instead of feeling like I don't know I'm a failure <laughs> exactly <laughs> let the student teach you and it, it's it's doable and it's people relate to you more you're more you're more of a human being when you go yeah I don't know let's figure that out together it it, nope. it, it no brings question. those characteristics to the forefront I think that's again part of your secret sauce. I, that's I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> um, well, for I want to also not just because I, you know you do teach my child, but for the sake of all the listeners out there who want to go back to school, they want to relive uh-huh. the moment, and they want to be in the classroom again. Tell us what it's like a typical week in your classroom. What what might a student at Bishop Lynch actually experience in your classroom? Let's just say biology. Okay. So a typical student at Bishop Lynch, we're on what we call block schedule. 
that means I see, I see uh, each student every other day for 90 minutes. So if it's an A week, I see you three times. If it's a B week, I see you two times. And then the following week is either an A or B week, depending on what the week before was. So in a typical class for me, let's do regular biology. We're doing chemistry right now. So today was the second time I saw all my B-Day students. It just so happens that they took a test on Monday. But um, after they take a test, we hit the ground running and we move on to the next chapter. So today we talked about chemistry. And the way we do it is the very first thing that they do when they come into my class, if they had a homework assignment, I go, make sure you turn your homework in, put your name on it, and staple it. There's a basket at the front of the room that's labeled so they know where to put it. And then each one of my desks has a number on it. It's on a Post-it, and the Post-it is colored. And then each Post-it has a variety of like four or five different stickers on it. And um, each number corresponds with a place where they put their cell phones. That's how I take attendance. So I make sure that each desk that has a body in it also has a cell phone in the uh, holder. If they don't have a cell phone, obviously they tell me that, and that's okay. Um, and then the very next thing we do, get out your planner, let's go over homework. So that takes about the first five minutes of class, ten minutes of class, um, and then we hit the ground running. Normally, I love YouTube. I think YouTube is one of the greatest underused sources that a teacher can use because there is literally a video on every topic in every subject, and it doesn't have to be a long video. Sometimes we watch a little two-minute video. Sometimes we watch a 10-minute video. It depends on the subject material. Um, so today we watched the periodic table song by Tom Lehrer, um, and it's literally <laughs> a very, great. I mean, it's quick. It's like three minutes, but it's all the elements of the periodic table. I love music. I couldn't sing if you paid me, but I love music. I prefer classical music, but in these cases I make exceptions. I try to tie in at least one song, if not two, to every topic that we learn. And the very first thing we'll do when we study that new topic is we'll listen to the song. So today, for the first 15 minutes, we listened to the song, we read over the lyrics, and then we tried to sing it together, which the kids got a hoot out of. And then we applied the elements in the periodic table to notes. Um, and the way notes work is I put a PowerPoint up on the board. The kids don't write what the PowerPoint says. The PowerPoint just backs me up and kind of validates what I say. And then we draw on the whiteboard. Sometimes we draw on the desktops. Um, sometimes we create mind maps on posters. It just depends on um, what we're doing. I'm a very big visual person, and this is where the drawing comes into play. The kids are always like, I can't draw, I can't draw. I was like, I didn't ask you to make me a masterpiece. I want you to draw me a water molecule. It, it's a ball and a stick. You can do this. Um, so I make sure that they can visualize, they can write it out with words, something just besides the monotony of note-taking. Um, and so we'll do note-taking, and then throughout the notes, or at the end of class, depending on what topic we're doing, we'll go over review. And sometimes they do it in a journal. Sometimes they do it on a worksheet that they turn in. Sometimes they do it on a note card that they leave as they exit. Um, it just depends on what assignment it is and how long we need to give to the notes. Um, and then once we've gone over the material and a student sufficiently understands, we basically will have a quiz over it. With my regulars class, it takes about two class periods and then we quiz. With my honors class, I'll teach it to them one day, and then they're quizzed over at the following class period. So each week, I see kids, like A-day week, they'll have at least one quiz. And then B-day week, sometimes the regular kids have a quiz, but the honors quiz, uh, the honors kids definitely have a quiz on a B-day week. 
Mm. So here's what I got out of what you said there. One, I just I like how you just handle the classroom. You just handle it, and that, I think that structure is good for um, for effective teaching for effective learning. And I think it also sets up you know, a mutually respective environment, res- respectful environment, from what I could see. Then what I heard you say is that you really. I, I assume this is all very, very intentional, but it seems like you're really trying to activate all different senses or appeal to all different senses when you're teaching so as to maybe you know, be able to enroll as many students in various ways of learning as you possibly can. Is that what you're actually doing or am I way off in left field here? No, no, no. You're, you nailed it right on the head. Um, so the very first topic that we learn about in biology class is we go over the scientific method, which the kids are like, oh, I've never heard of the scientific method, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, you have. You use it every day. You use it every day in the winter when it's cold outside. You walk outside and you go, oh, it's cold. I'm going to wear a long sleeve coat. Scientific method. Okay? You've made an observation. You've performed an experiment. You've put on your sweatshirt you're good to go. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. In its most basic form, you've performed the scientific method. The number one thing you do in the scientific method is you make an observation. And I stress to these kids, I say, how do you observe things? They're like, with my eyes. I go, how are you observing my voice right now? And they're like, with my eyes? I'm like, you're hearing me with your eyes? They're like, oh, no, my ears too. And I'm like, you are using every single one of your senses when you're trying to make an observation. So my goal is to help them make those observations, make those connections in class with every, every single one of their senses. I am a visual person. I am a kinesthetic person. I like to move around, and I like to see things visually. You can say things to me. You can make me read. But if I can create a mind map or if I can physically write on it, I learn so much better. So I don't want to force kids into being a visual learner or a kinesthetic learner that I, like I am, but I want to give them a taste of it so they know, oh, yeah, this is working a lot better for me. Um, so I make sure that I do use all those senses when they're learning and studying because I want them to be able to apply or see things from all different perspectives. Mm, I'm so, yeah, so glad I asked it. that. That's just really just yummy on all fronts for me. So, and here we are, ready for our next break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Miss Christy Wainwright, who is a biology teacher at Bishop Lynch High School in Dallas. She joins us today from her school. We've been talking a bit about her actual approach to teaching, how she goes about it. After the break, we're going to get into how biology prepares students for life and work. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Get 
inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Miss Christy Wainwright, a well-respected and loved teacher at Bishop Lynch High School in East Dallas, Texas. She teaches freshman biology, both honors and regulars, and the AP biology course offered to upperclassmen. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, we were talking a bit about just how it is that you bring the material to life, your approach to teaching, which was fun. And I hope that was actually delightful for anybody else who remembers their teachers fondly or is interested in teaching themselves. For this last bit together, Ms. Wainwright, I really wanted to bring it home as to why in the world do we study biology in the first place? And so, you know, beyond what you teach in biology, I'll bet there are at least a few key lessons that you want your students to learn. So when you think about what do you want your students to really know about life? So one of the very first lessons that we do um, at the beginning of the school year is we do prefixes and suffixes. So we learn what words mean. And uh, so when you actually take the word biology and you break it down, bio meaning life and ology means study, it, study of, we are studying life. And if you're a living thing, that should interest you. Um, We've been going over the characteristics of life. What makes something a living thing? And uh, kids wrapping their brain around the fact that a dead tree is still a living thing, even though it's not alive, they never realize that a living thing is classified as a living thing even after it's no longer alive. So just being able to apply what we talk about in the classroom to real-life experiences, I feel like that is the most rewarding thing that a student can give themselves. Um, I know... You always, get the, you always get the students in math class, and they're like, there's a truck, and it has four apples and 18 oranges and all these math problems. And you're like, when, when is this going to be applied? When am I going to use this in my life? Um, I can't make that argument for math because sometimes I do feel that way about math. I'm like, what? I don't understand. I'm never going to use this. <laughs> but biology, honestly, you use it every day. You use it every day. And my, my goal, my job is to make sure that kids understand that. Even if they hate biology, they need to understand that it's going on around them. They are a part of a living entity and that they need to take care of that entity um, on all aspects. Like, we're fixing to study acids and bases. And kids are like, oh, I, don't, I know what an acid is, I know what a base is. And then we start talking about practical applications of that. No one's going to go drink a vat of acid. I understand that. However, orange juice is a pretty popular breakfast food and a breakfast drink, right? 
So the kids are always like, yeah, and it tastes horrible when you brush your teeth and drink orange juice. And I'm like, why is that? And they don't understand that orange juice is acidic, um, toothpaste is basic, and there's a chemical reaction happening in their mouth that's causing that taste. And being able to apply it to actually what we're talking about and to understand why toothpaste tastes horrible after you drink orange juice. That's the connection I'm trying to make students to make. Um, at the end of the day, I know that not everyone's going to love biology. At the end of the day, not everyone's going to like science. But at the end of the day, what I want them to take home with them is that it's important, that it's all around them, and no matter what you try, it will follow you for your entire life. And to be able to interact with it and to be able to be a part of it instead of just sitting back and not participating. I loved biology growing up. I don't know why I didn't study it further, but I absolutely loved it. And part of it maybe was I did have a great teacher, too. But um, I'm interested to take this a little bit further. I totally get, in fact, I didn't know why. I did not know why toothpaste tasted awful after drinking orange (laughs) juice. Thank you very much for that. I did not know there was a reaction happening in my mouth. Now I get that. Thank you. Um, I'd like it if you could just share a little bit more about just, because this is the love of learning. And this is the stuff like, oh, man, that's why we had to learn this stuff in life. So, a couple more examples of, of how learning biology gives competence and prepares students for, for life, their practical skills that they're going to get. Definitely. Um, one of my new projects, because, you know, I don't have enough on my plate right now, but I've decided <laughs> to inst- institute a school garden. And so I really wrestled with myself what we wanted to do with the garden and who we wanted to make the garden with. And ultimately, my honors biology class won because I only had two classes, which was 50 kids, as opposed to 100 and change with my regulars classes. So what we are doing is we are designing a garden and we are making it completely sustainable. And my kids at the beginning, they were like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And I was like, just do it. Just do it. Trust me. Just do it. And so we've learned how to compost. We've learned what we can put in a compost pile. We've learned how to kill a compost pile because the very first week we did it, I was so excited, and I threw all this stuff in, and I killed it, and we had to start over. Um, But they were like, where am I going to use this? And I'm like, how many of you had a salad today for lunch? And, you know, a good five or six girls raised their hand, and they're like, oh, I had a salad. I'm like, (laughs) where did the lettuce come from? Did the lettuce fairy bring the salad? Okay? Or did you actually have to work and grow the lettuce? And so what we're doing is we're applying that, oh, I can readily go down to the refrigerator and, you know, get a glass of milk. I can go down and get lettuce for a salad. But where does it come from? How does it thrive? And so what we're doing in the garden is not only are we growing plants, but we're learning how they survive, why they survive, what purpose that they serve. Flowering plants. Most of my students have no clue what the purpose of a flower is. They're like, it just looks pretty. And I'm like, it doesn't just look pretty. That's the plant's way of communicating to bugs and insects like butterflies that they're ready to be pollinated so they can make more plants. So the flower is there actually as a um, mating enhancer. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, there's a purpose to that flower. There's a purpose to that seed. Most of my students, this is the one that gets them all the time, um, the ripening of fruit. Most of my students go, oh, yeah, it's ripe, so I can eat it. I'm like, but why is it ripe? And they're like, I don't know, it just happens. I'm like, that's actually the plant telling animals that the seeds can survive their intestinal tract, so it's okay to eat them now. 
And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. The whole point of a fruit ripening is to let you know that the seed coat has formed. So if you eat that strawberry and you were to defecate in the wild for some reason, all of those seeds would grow. So being able to connect things that they already do in life is more important to me than them going off and becoming a bio major. Don't get me wrong. Bio majors are awesome. But for a student who hates biology and wants to be an English major, who can use those experiences and relate it to back, back to what we studied, that's more valuable to me as far as learning goes. I am totally turned on by this. I think this is just so fun. I do not remember biology coming to life like this, literally coming to life like this. But, boy, if you can, you know, when you ask the questions, why? Why does this stuff actually occur? Why do these things actually happen? Um, and if you start pulling back the veil like that and you start thinking about it, it's so much about just ensuring that there is ongoing life, right? That that there's exactly. reproduction. I mean, and, and I don't know what high school kid doesn't understand that, but or doesn't who isn't interested <laughs> in that, right? Um, uh, but I, I love that. And and I, I, I really appreciate how you brought that literally to life for us. But I gotta ask, how uh-huh. to kill the compost pile? So <laughs> I literally read every book and they're like, whatever you do, you can't kill it. You can't kill it. And there are so many different levels to composting, like bacteria and funguses. And I threw a bunch of fruit juice in there because I had, it's all from the cafeteria, and they save it for me. And I was just like, dump it all in, dump it all in, dump it all in. And all of a sudden, it was just rancid, and it smelled, and it attracted all these bugs and insects and critters. And it just, it smelled like death. It smelled like death. Mm. And so I went and researched, and they were like, so what you've done is you put too many greens in your pile, and there's not enough browns, which are like dirt and uh, carbon-based materials, and it's not breaking down, and it's just sitting there and rotting. And I was like, oh, great. So I went, and I took, I didn't tell the kids this, obviously, but now they know. I went and took all the compost piles, and I went and took them, and I dumped them in the field behind my house, and then I restarted them one weekend so the kids wouldn't find out about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing great. (laughs) Um, And then I finally came clean. But I was like, yeah, you have to balance out your greens and browns, which I thought I was doing, but I evidently wasn't. I thought, there's no way a pound is going to make a difference. It does. It does. So that's what I would, advice I would give. Make sure you measure out your greens and browns when you're composting. I also appreciate the, just the whole, well, we figured out how that didn't work, right? Like, yep. like you know, Edison figured out all the different ways a light bulb didn't work until he finally found the way it did. Okay, I'm so glad discovered- you used that quote. I use that right? quote all the time. <laughs> Yay. See, isn't this great? This is kismet. You were supposed to be on this radio show. I'm just saying. Yes. Um, okay, we're getting close to being out of time already. And so I wanted to ask you two more questions if we can swing them. So okay. knowing that this show is really about helping people more meaningfully and productively connecting with their work. And then, of course, showcasing people like you who are turned on by their work. I want to have you talk a little bit about how you think studying biology helps students prepare for the world of work. So biology is not necessarily all about numbers, but it's about order. One thing leads to another leads to another. Um, I have my class designed to where if you don't do your homework, you don't do well on your quizzes, you don't do well on your quizzes, you don't do well on your tests. And I feel like that's something at the most basic level that a student understands. Um, I think what people kind of miss out as far as high school classes go and high school subjects go, it's a cascade. And at the end of the day, I'm not teaching my students all about biology. I'm teaching them how to interact with one another when they do a lab. I'm teaching them how to 
take initiative and accountability for their own grade by sending me an email instead of a parent sending me an email. I'm teaching them how to make sure that there's a name on everything. I like to use the check analogy, but since no one hardly writes checks anymore, it gets lost on them. But if you don't put your name on it, how is anyone ever going to be able to give you credit? You need to make sure that your name is on it so people will take you seriously. So it's just little things like that that they can recall back in freshman biology and then be like, oh, yeah, remember that one time Ms. Wainwright gave me a zero? This is why. Um, so it's, it's about the little things, the little nuances and the little habits that they are creating now that will apply not only to biology but all of their subjects and then later in life with their career. Hmm. Wow. That is... Again, so appreciated, given that I, I also appreciate responsibility, accountability, um, and it's it, and even just the approach that you're taking by the way that you teach is, I, I'm, I see it on the other side, and I, and I can tell you I appreciate that. I love working with uh, young people who are just entering the workforce, and obviously you're now teaching people who are about soon, soon enough, to enter the workforce. So thank you in advance for that. No problem. <laughs> so we're coming to the the, the, the end of the, of the conversation, and I like to be able to to let you have pretty much the last word to the show. Um, and so when you when you re- you realize that this is a show that's heard really across the globe, and we are focused on the world of work in general and being connected and passionate to the work that you do in a purposeful manner, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? Um, never underestimate the power or the will of a teacher. Um, I know, I know when I first started teaching, I was like, teaching is so easy. All you do is hang out with kids all day. Uh, my brother-in-law likes to throw it in my face. He's like, you get an entire summer vacation off. And that's a bone to pick with him anyways. But never underestimate how much work and how much effort that a teacher is putting into your child's education. And never underestimate how much good a relationship with that teacher can do for the child. Um, I think at the end of the day, It is all about the child. I don't need praise as a teacher. I don't need thanks as a teacher. What I need is for that child to learn and to understand and to enjoy the learning process. So if I'm passionate about it here at school and you're passionate about it at home, us being passionate together, that's going to make a difference in that child's life. Um, So at the end of the day, like I've been saying, it's all about the kid for me. And if I can stress that to anyone out there, Find what you want to do with your life and make it about other people. Make it about someone else. Uh, When you make it about someone else, you tend to enjoy it more because it's not about the money. It's not about the summer vacations. It's about working with the kids and actually seeing them grow. Everyone has that passion that they love, whether it's underwater basket weaving or watching um, the mating habits of banana slugs. Find out what you love and share it with others. What a brilliant way to close the show, Ms. Wainwright. That was just incredible. Very, very wise for a young woman. Um, oh, well, just you. a couple. You're welcome. I really want to thank you for joining me on the show, being willing to, to be recruited, as it were, and saying, yes, I'm game. So thank you for joining us and sharing your passion, your purpose, your approach, and your love for your field. It's been delightful to have you on. Well, thank you. It's been a wonderful experience. Very, very enjoyable. I loved it. I'm glad. If you want to learn more about Miss Wainwright and the work she does at Bishop, Bishop Lynch High School, you can visit their website. It's bishoplynch.org. 
Join us next week when we talk with Austin Kremers and Ramund Mayo of Driver Select about the purposeful culture they are creating within this automotive sales company that literally drives everything, no pun intended. They, it, it drives their employee engagement, performance, customer satisfaction, and ongoing success. See you then, and remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>